Welcome to Wealth and Understanding, Conversations with the Riverview Trust Company. In this series, we hope to demystify the financial and estate planning process. We'd like to help our clients and friends make informed decisions that they feel good about. Okay, so today we're going to talk about how to design trusts for your kids or for other heirs. Uh, this is probably the second most important topic in estate planning after providing for your own care in the event that you're incapacitated. And it is an area that people spend a lot of time worrying about and thinking about what, what should I do for my kids? How should I provide for them? And this discussion will focus on those issues. Uh, a couple of things uh, to begin with. First, this is not a do-it-yourself guide. Uh, it's designed to help you organize your thoughts more effectively to have better conversations with your estate planning attorney. Uh, and second, it's not a given that a trust is even needed for your kids. You could just leave assets outright, and that's what a lot of people do. So I am not, by having this conversation, recommending trusts or outright gifts. So the big picture of trust design in my view, at least, is to look at it in terms of five steps in, in the following order. They need to be taken in order. First, what do you want to protect the beneficiary from? Second, how long should the trust last? Third, how much should the beneficiary get from the trust while it does last? Fourth, what assets are going to be in the trust? And finally, and only after you've answered the first four question. Who's in charge? In other words, who should be the trustee? Now, this is a topic that uh, we've, we've picked up in other uh, podcasts, and so some of these discussions will seem familiar, but uh, I want to present them in order to make sure that there's a flow to the thought process. So first, the only reason we ever create trusts for other people is to protect them from something or somebody. And there are four major categories of uh, protection, if you will, that trusts can provide. First, you can protect a beneficiary from himself or herself. Uh, the beneficiary may be a minor and is not able to manage money. Uh, he or she may have special needs and special medical uh, requirements that require financial oversight. Uh, the beneficiary might have substance abuse issues. And all of those are reasons why you may need to protect the beneficiary from himself or herself. Next, you may want to protect the beneficiaries from other beneficiaries. The stereotypical example here is when you create a trust for a second spouse and then when that spouse dies, the property passes uh, to the children from a prior marriage. And often there can be conflict arising from those relationships. And so rather than giving the property to the second spouse outright, you may want to create a trust for him or her to ensure that, that there's something left for, uh, for the kids from the prior marriage. Third, uh, you may want to create a trust for a beneficiary to protect them from creditors. And this can take a couple forms. If the beneficiary uh, has a dangerous job, for example, if you have a child who's a surgeon, um, you may want to create a trust 
to protect the assets that you leave that child from the child's potential creditors. Because when a trust is created by one person for the benefit of another person, that other person's creditors can't attach the trust assets, generally speaking. Another creditor that you may want to protect the beneficiary from are future ex-spouses. So maybe you trust your child to uh, manage the assets well by himself or herself, but you want to make sure that given the high rates of divorce in the country, that the assets never wind up in the hands of an ex-spouse, either in the relative future or sometime out in the future after a subsequent marriage. And finally, and this is maybe the most complicated one, you may want to protect a beneficiary from the IRS. And this is a topic that's beyond the scope of this particular presentation. But there are a number of trusts that you can create for a beneficiary that establish uh, protection from taxes, either from estate taxes or, in some cases, from income taxes. And again, this is a topic that's pretty complicated and is best taken up with uh, your attorney. So after you've established the first step, what do you want to protect the beneficiary from? That will color the rest of the conversations. And the the next step in my five-step process was, how long should the trust last? And again, this will be affected in part by who you want to protect the beneficiary from. And your choices are, it could last for a period of years. So the trust could last 20 years from the date of, of your death when the trust is established. The trust could last until the beneficiary reaches a certain age, or the trust could last for the beneficiary's entire lifetime. And uh, notice how that duration is impacted by the protection aspect of it. So if you want to protect the beneficiary from creditors, you may want the trust to last for the beneficiary's entire life, not to restrict that. Uh, access to those assets to the beneficiary, but rather to make sure that that creditor protection um, lasts throughout the beneficiary's life. Alternatively, you could have it last until uh, you know a, the beneficiary attains age 65. So if um, your goal is creditor protection and you want to protect them from creditors during their working life, you could pick an age for the beneficiary after which the trust terminates. The next question is, is probably the most complicated one, which is uh, how much should the beneficiary get out of the trust during the trust's uh, lifetime? So uh, it will again be affected by what you're protecting the beneficiary from and how long the trust lasts. If you only want the trust to last until the beneficiary reaches age 21 or 25 or something, you might make the distributions fairly restrictive during that period, whereas if the trust lasts for a beneficiary's entire lifetime because you want to protect the beneficiary from creditors, then uh, you might want to be more generous in your distribution provisions. And there's two categories uh, of distribution types. Uh, the, the, you can think about it a lot of different ways, but I like to think about it in terms of two different categories. There are subjective provisions and there are objective provisions. So, and, and both are used pretty commonly in trust drafting. Subjective provisions are things like uh, saying that the 
beneficiary can have as much as he or she needs for her support, education, and medical care. And those are subjective because they're up to the discretion of the trustee, who's the person who owns the property, uh, to decide what's appropriate in those categories. And, and the real loaded term here is support. So support can mean a lot of different things. It can mean uh, a mansion and a Maserati, or it can mean uh, a rental apartment and a bus pass. Both are support, and both are reasonable interpretations of that word. And so thinking about what the purpose of the trust is, what the protection aspect that you want to incur is, you may be more or less restrictive in that uh, term. So, for example, if you are worried that the child is a spendthrift, then you might want to be more restrictive. Again, if you're looking more for creditor protection, you might want to be more broad in your thinking. And so whenever you use subjective terms terms that are open to interpretation, you should always be uh, explicit about the thought that you have behind those subjective terms. So it's my intent that, and then explain what it is that you are creating the trust for. Objective terms, on the other hand, are just that. They're objective. So I could say uh, the beneficiary is to receive... um, some inflation-adjusted dollar amount. And that's a not very commonly used option that I think is really uh, overlooked. I think it's a great option because uh, let's say you want to create a trust for uh, someone until they reach the age of 40. And you want to uh, allow him or her to have benefits, but you don't want them to become dependent upon the trust property. And so if you say, um, I don't know, let's say, $35,000 per year in today's dollars. You, you know what that will buy them. You know what kind of standard of living that will create for them. You know uh, that they could live on it, but they might want to uh, get a job to uh, enhance their standard of living. So inflation-adjusted dollar amounts are one kind of objective term. The more common one, and the one that I don't like very much, to be honest with you, is saying that the beneficiary can have all the income. Now, income from a trust means uh, interest, rents, royalties, dividends. So it just depends upon what the asset is that you own in the trust as to what generates in, you know what generates income and how much income is generated. So it's objective, but it's also arbitrary and therefore, to my mind, not very meaningful. So when you talk to your estate planning attorney and he or she tells you, well, the beneficiary can have all income, maybe you say uh, the inflation-adjusted dollar amount instead, or maybe you say um, the lesser of all income, or pardon me, the greater of all income or inflation-adjusted dollar amount. So if you want to pass out all the income, you can, but you uh, but, but by saying the greater of, you establish a baseline for how much he or she will get every year. And once again, the uh, amount that you pass out depends upon, as I said, what, what you're protecting the beneficiary from and how long the trust lasts. The next step in the analysis is which assets are going into the trust. So this takes two different forms. First of all, uh, are you funding the trust with enough assets to meet the purpose that you've established? So after you've gone through the first three questions... 
how much do you need to put into it uh, in order to make sure that it will do what it's supposed to do? And, and you can um, talk to your financial planner in part to run some numbers and come up with a good uh, basis for that kind of calculation if that's appropriate. The second question when you look at what assets are going into the trust is what assets specifically? Is it going to be a, a stocks and bonds? Is it going to be a closely held business? Is it going to be real estate? And do you expect the trustee to retain that asset? So very often, uh, beneficiaries will have in their trusts uh, interest in the family business. And maybe they want, they the person who created the trust, that is, want the trustee to manage that business on an ongoing basis. Now, if you want if you want for that to happen, you need to be very specific about saying so in the trust agreement, because in general, trustees have a duty to diversify their investments. And so if you want to have a concentration in a particular business or a particular piece of real estate, you need to talk to your attorney about making sure that um, that it's stated that that's your intent. Also, uh, you may want to make sure that that asset is going to generate enough revenue, enough cash flow, again, to meet the purposes of the trust that you've created. So if you want to pay for a beneficiary support, uh, you need to make sure that whatever the asset is in the trust is going to throw off enough money to do that. And if it's a closely held business, you know, businesses have operating expenses and so forth. So if you're going to fund a trust with stocks and bonds, the the issue is much simpler than if you're going to fund it with uh, a business or real estate. And finally, the last uh, piece of the puzzle is who's in charge. So you this will, uh, once again, depend upon all of the first four factors. And so the reason why we've gone through these questions in order is to lay out what the trustees' duties are. What are you protecting them from? How long does it last? How much do they get? Are we making subjective decisions about support? Are we managing a closely held business that's held as a trust asset? All of those things will impact who the trustee is. A couple of thoughts. First of all, in general, it's not a great idea to make one sibling the trustee for another sibling. Uh, That's a great way to ruin Thanksgiving if you do that. And so if there's another alternative please explore it. Now, there are times when a sibling is a good choice. So, for example, if a, if a beneficiary has special needs um, and maybe they need uh, ex- def, uh, you know extended care and uh, the sibling is the best person to help make that decision. But in general, siblings aren't a great choice. And then, um, you know, I would be remiss in my obligation to my own company uh, not to point out that uh, trust companies like Riverview are uh, happy to step in and fulfill that function if you don't have a family member that's appropriate. And uh, and for the record, most time that most of the time, uh, family members are appropriate. But we're here uh, to help if you feel like uh, you need somebody that's more objective, someone who's going to make the hard calls, and you don't want to have to put that burden on a family member. Or maybe you just don't have family members in town. So looking at all of those questions in the order they're presented, again, let me give them to you one more time. What do you want to protect the beneficiary from? How long should the trust last? How much should the beneficiary get from the trust while it lasts? What assets are going into the trust and who should be in charge? Taking those questions in that order and coming up with a basic framework uh, from answering those questions 
will go a long way to help you work with your attorney to decide what's right for you and your family. This podcast was written and produced by Riverview Trust Company, which is solely responsible for its content. Although we've discussed generally some legal concepts, Riverview Trust Company does not provide legal advice. You should consult with your own attorney to decide whether the general ideas that we've presented in this podcast are right for you. Post-production work was done, and our theme music was created by James Klein. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.